So Karis and Price for November the 10th, 2023. Welcome to the Go-Go Sports Studios inside the Wall Center. If you're planning a holiday party, don't forget about the Wall Center offers over 55,000 square feet of striking indoor and outdoor space. And they've got that 34th floor meeting and reception space offering sweeping views. We've had a Christmas party there ourselves. Contact them at sales at wallcenter.com. Glad to have you aboard, Sikaris and Price. Always a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group and Applewood Infinity in Richmond right now, offering up the QX50. That's Matt's baby. Finance it from 0%. And no charge winter tires on select trims as well. Get the Q50 financing from 1.99% as well. Because it's all good at Applewood. Glad to have you aboard here after the Vancouver Canucks get another victory. 5-2 over the Ottawa Senators. And we've got Jeff Patterson in tow for the vacation. Matt Sikaris, he's going to catch some football south of the border this weekend. Uh, Jeff, this is... uh, a good opportunity to get you in this three-game and four-day stretch here, and the Canucks just keep rolling. Yeah, five in a row. They've picked up points in nine straight. They are 8-0-1. Matt was in with me on rink wide, and we were scrambling to try to go back through the history books to find the last time that they had picked up points in nine straight. I mean, these are heady times for the Vancouver Canucks, who you know, weren't at their best, and that seemed to be the theme after the game. Rick Tocchet, JT Miller, others that did post-game they recognized that they weren't at their best. They got outshot 30-16. to 16. Uh, They let a 2-0 lead get away, but they found a way, ultimately, and that's what this team is doing. And, you know, you, you say, okay, they weren't at their best. Like, Elias Patterson didn't dominate. Like, he still had three points. He scores an incredible one-timer on the power play. And so if that's his B game or his C-plus game, it's still enough to boost him to the top of the NHL scoring derby. That's where he sits. Uh, heading into action tonight. So, yeah, maybe not at his best, but that's what the greats truly do is they find ways to contribute. And look who scored the goals for the Canucks last night. Besser, 15 seconds in. JT Miller, moments after Brady Kachuk had missed what looked like a sitter that would have put Ottawa in front, Miller snapped one home, and then Elias Pettersson. So they're getting goals from their big guns. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev with two more, and what an addition he's turned out to be for this hockey club, where I think a lot of us thought he was going to need more runway here to find his game, but he's up to five goals already. And so, as they have throughout the season, their top guns just continue to carry the day, even when maybe they're not at the very top of their individual games. Guys like Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, you feel like there's another gear still for them. Both of them accumulating points at almost a point-per-game pace. And, yeah, yeah, like is, is Mikheyev actually used his speed? To, to accumulate many of these points? Not really. No, but I think we're seeing his his size, his hockey smarts. Yeah. And again, he's going to get better. Like There's room for him to grow, right, just to beat guys one-on-one with his speed. I think we're starting to see him slowly integrate into the penalty kill as well. And that was a sort of, uh, uh, you know, one of the storylines, but a small storyline last night was the penalty kill went two for two. So it was perfect. But both penalties came in the first period discipline they they didn't take a penalty after the first period so you know one thing the Sens can do is score they've got high-end talent but outside of Drake Batherson I thought the Canucks did a pretty nice job on on Brady Kachuk aside from that one chance that I mentioned Tim Stutzla I mean he's fun to watch but he certainly didn't dominate that hockey game the Canucks didn't let the Senators top-end guys 
take over. And at the end of the night, when you look at the score sheet, at the very least, forget how the game looked as it unfolded on the score sheet. You've got Patterson, you've got Miller, you've got Bester, you've got Quinn Hughes chipping in. Uh, the Canucks top end guys left their mark on this hockey game more than Ottawa's did. The Canucks got the early goal. 15 seconds in, a heck of a way to start a road trip. And they'd add to their lead a little later as well. Um, and yet they did not pile on the shots. They were late into the second period with seven shots on goal. Um, but shots against, and I kept on, you know, I was watching with a group of, of people and we were remarking on the shots for, which were not great, but the shots against weren't exactly gaudy. When you're, when you're being outshot 25 to seven, that looks bad. It was, I think, 16 to seven, you know, like, yeah, not great with the seven, but 16 against is great. Like it was pretty good defensive play. Um, it might've felt like a lucky win. Our poll question today, do you care if the Canucks get lucky wins? Yes or no? Log on, cast your vote, and uh, let us know what you think. Of course, available on our social handles, at Sakaris and Price on Twitter. And, uh, well, first, do you think it's a lucky win? Do you think that was just a cagey win? How would you describe what we saw there? Yeah, I mean, based on the shot clock, they're getting shot by a two-to-one margin. That would tell you that you're spending too much time defending. But you go under the hood, and the underlying numbers had the high danger scoring chances at 9-3 for the Canucks at even strength in that hockey game. Right. And that does sort of match up that, yes, they gave up 30 shots, but the Sens were playing for the second night in a row. They had come off a good win in Toronto. And I thought, for the most part, the Canucks kept them to the outside, to the perimeter, allowed Casey DeSmith to make this. Like, the Canucks win this game with a backup goaltender. Night number two of the season in Edmonton, DeSmith was one of the stories because he stood on his head, he faced all sorts of rubber. Like, you know, credit to him for doing what he had to do to get a result last night, but I didn't feel like Casey DeSmith was one of the real stories to emerge out of that hockey game. And I think that speaks to the way the game unfolded. Isn't that the sure? I mean, the Canucks, yes, they gave up some chances, and sure, the Senators got two, but they didn't get that third one. And you know, this is another thing, I guess, where we talk about the Canucks maybe not at their best. I think in years gone by, like the Ian Cole flub, and Ian Cole's been terrific, he's been a really good pickup for this Vancouver Hockey Club, but he hands the puck away to Batherson and they score. Now, all of a sudden, the Sens are on the board, it's a 2 1 hockey game. I think in years gone by, that would have led to the Canucks just caving that they couldn't handle you know a reversal of that kind of fortune and even the second senator's goal it's a fourth line goal it's artem zub who doesn't score many as a defenseman deflects in off elias Pettersson. you can call that one a bit of a, an unfortunate bounce you know fourth line against the canucks top line and they had hughes and ronick on the ice again i like the fact the fact that the canucks didn't cave like that i think in years gone by that kind of thing might have set this hockey club off but maybe that's a sign of growth and development and back to the question about luck i think for the most part the fans are saying like who cares about luck at this point like put as many points in the basket as you can right now if the luck turns i don't think the luck's going to run out uh just the way that the star players are playing on this hockey club but if the luck turns in any way like put all of that into your account now and like 10 wins they got 10 wins in their first 13 hockey games and the other part of this is you know, I think there is a good chunk of this fan base that would be willing uh, to trade some of this luck after Saturday night. Keep the luck going. You know, you're going into Toronto, the big stage, Hockey Night in Canada. I think fans want to believe that the luck can last for at least one more game. 
to stick it to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some of the early reaction to the poll question, David saying, absolutely not. It's about time luck came for a visit. Long overdue. Yeah. Uh, Chef Swagger, no. As long as they are aware that they were lucky and find areas to improve upon, Mike in Portland, luck is so often the product of work. Good process means effective work. If the process isn't good, and there have been nights where the, that was the case, and wins are still happening, then I am concerned playoffs are a step, not a destination. Um, that's an interesting one because it, it, despite some of the stats working against the Canucks last night, were they terribly outplayed? Did you feel like they were being caved in at any point in the, in the game? I thought after the 2-0 lead, the remainder of the first period, they had one shot on goal and it was an Ilya McKayev breakaway. And if he scores there, it's 3-0. It's probably lights out for the Senators. There's probably no coming back from a 3-0 deficit on home ice in the first period. But he did. He made one save in the first period. And it turned out to be a, yeah. a pretty big one because the shots were 11-3. I thought after the 2-0 lead, and you're right, like to start a road trip, trying to carry the momentum 15 seconds in, yeah, it needed some review. But uh, there was no doubt that puck was across the line. And then Mikheyev, a few minutes later, I, I did think they spent the balance of the first period. Now Ottawa had its two power plays. And so that played into it. Uh, they hit a crossbar on one of the power plays. Again, it was Batherson, who I thought easily their best player on the night. Uh, you know, so the Canucks defended a lot over the final 15 minutes of the first period. But really after that, I, I thought even though they were outshot again, I didn't feel like they were outplayed. I didn't feel like they were pinned in their own zone and, you know, badly. We've seen some stretches like the first period the other night against the Oilers and a few others along the way where the Canucks could barely come up for air. I, it didn't have that same feeling to me last night in Ottawa. The uh, performance of Casey DeSmith um, and, and the importance of getting that result. Like, it's one thing that he gets the win. Fabulous. But it's also points and rest for Thatcher Demko. And, uh, you know, it had been a while for Casey DeSmith, but he's likely to get another start this weekend, obviously, uh, with the back-to-back -back games. And the fact that they are employing him right now, getting points. I mean, he's 4-0. If he was he was 2-2, two two. if he was 2-1-1, one one, I think people would be ecstatic about it uh, because they're also making sure they're not overworking Thatcher Demko. And, it, and the fact that they're having a week where he starts twice, um, considering how hot they've been played, you'd be tempted to ride Thatcher Demko, and they're not succumbing to that temptation, which is nice. Yeah, I think for me, I think Rick Talkett and coaching staff have done a really nice job in handling Thatcher Demko and limiting his workload. Some of that is that there's already clearly a trust in Casey DeSmith that, you know, hasn't been here with the backups. Uh, certainly last year, goaltending was uh, a different story with the injury to Demko. But uh, this idea that they can turn to Casey DeSmith and not just to get Demko a rest, but they believe in this guy now to deliver results. And he's done that. A win against Edmonton, a win in Florida, a win now uh, against the Ottawa Senators. And I think for me, this is sort of the one of the early season. I mean, there's so many early season storylines, but that four games now feels like a run for Thatcher Demko in the eyes of this organization that they don't need to push him six, seven, eight games in a row before they feel it's beneficial for him to get a chance to have a night off to work with Ian Clark so that he's going to be fresh and ready to go against the Leafs, I would presume. And then you come back with the Smith in Montreal on Saturday. So I, you know, when the schedule came out and at that point they hadn't made the trade for Casey DeSmith, like I really believed with only one set of back-to-backs in the first 15 games that Thatcher Demko was going to play, you know, 12 or 13 of the first 15. 
it hasn't turned out that way. They haven't needed them. And so this is all gravy for the Vancouver Canucks because the longer they can employ this formula and the longer they keep winning and stay above the playoff bar, ultimately, you know, then you start to make decisions with an eye to down the road. And I don't want to get ahead of myself too far, but it's not about, you know, having arrested Thatcher Demko in the regular season. The reason you want him fresh and ready is that if this team does qualify for the playoffs, you want one of your difference makers, you know, at the top of his game and the way that they're employing their goaltenders right now, if they can continue to roll this out over the long haul, uh, it's going to put them in an awfully good position. So yeah, what a luxury to have two netminders that you trust and rely on that ultimately can deliver results for you. This reminds me of uh, my anecdotal evidence here of what this season start has done for the Vancouver Canucks. I have a lot of kids, as you know, but my, my younger children, 13, 15 years of age, um, have caught wind of discussions about the Canucks of late and around their friends too. It's happened on multiple occasions now, including some of the friends. Wait, the Canucks are good? <laughs> Wait, the Canucks are a first place team? Like these kids have grown up in the darkest oh. of days, like they, they don't understand that it was even it was, possible. It was punishment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and and here they are actually winning hockey games near the top of the league. Um, and it's it's actually kind of crazy that they're not at the top of the league. And you know, beginning a lot of questions. So how is this even happening? Well, the superstars have gotten better. Like, in addition to all the the nice additions to the team, the Ian Coles and Susie's of the world, which and DeSmith. This, we didn't know if it was possible for these superstars to be better. I find myself looking at the box scores and going three assists for Pedersen. Really? Like he was fine. Was he electric? No, no. Three points for Elias Pedersen. Quinn Hughes. I'm disappointed when I look and I see only one point. Like it's, it's bizarre world stuff for fans. I think that in media that have been around this team for the past decade. Right. I mean, Elias Patterson had 102 points last season. He announced his arrival. He was a top 10 scorer in the yeah. NHL. Like, this is now a star-level player, but leading the NHL in scoring? Like, come on, that's a whole nother level. And I think even more so for Quinn Hughes, who had 76 points last year, and we all watched, and he was phenomenal. But the way that he is just commanding games now, and I, I saw that stat yesterday about... Possession? Players. Yeah. Oh. And, like... The gap between one and two is the same as the gap between two and like a thousand. Yeah. And Quinn Hughes is just the leader by so far. And when when he's got the puck on his stick, good things happen. And they have all season. And so you're right. Uh, but this goes back to the point that, you know, like he wasn't electric last night. But there's a pretty damn good chance then that he's going to be electric on Saturday in Toronto, right? Like if that was an off night, he still figures in the scoring. They win going away. And you know that he can be a whole lot better than he was. So, yeah, I mean, Patterson, three points. Miller gets the game winner. You know, Demko had a night off, but we know what Thatcher Demko has meant to this hockey club. And then the supporting cast, Mikheyev with a pair, Kuzmenko, a couple of assists, Phil Giuseppe. You know, we barely talk about him, but I thought he was terrific. Last night, two primary assists and and deservedly so. Like, that's a, a sweet feed to Besser off the rush to start the game. And then... You know, Ian Cole breaks up the play in the neutral zone, but D. Giuseppe puts it right into Miller's wheelhouse for the goal that turned out to be the game winner. So he's not just window dressing. He's not just in on the forecheck on a night like last night. Phil D. Giuseppe, uh, part of this as well. So, yeah, star power leveled up, but also the supporting cast. It really is hard to find a guy that isn't pulling his weight, which is so interesting now with Teddy Bluger knocking on the door to get back into the lineup, maybe as early as Sunday in Montreal, inject some fresh legs at the end of the road trip. But... You know, and I've seen this question a lot out and so like who is, 
who's coming out. Like, I'm not even sure that the coaching staff knows, you know, truly game by game. And I, I mean, injury could force uh, some decisions in that regard, but they're pretty close to fully healthy knock on wood for them right now. So yeah, I mean, just everything coming up roses for the Vancouver Canucks right now. Um, not only is everything going so great for the Canucks, but uh, key schadenfreude year for the Vancouver Canucks or start at least watching the division foes play like they are like there's some surprises like the anaheim ducks and stuff like that but connect fans don't bother themselves with that they're focused on the bottom right now where the san jose sharks have won back-to-back games who to thunk that was possible uh and of course it comes over the edmonton Oilers, who are now tied with the sharks at five points apiece and that almost feels like a win for Vancouver Canucks fans who take great glee. And not only in that, but also in the individual uh, stagnation, like Connor McDavid's stats for the year. Like, how? How is that even possible? He is a one-man show if need be. We saw that in the early years of him uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. He alone can get points, but he alone is not getting points. He alone is not dragging them to victories. Um, they've always had bad goaltending. Why is it only now affecting? They're, they were having 100-point year, 50-win years with bad goaltending. It's remarkable what's happening to the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, people are obviously taking great delight in all of this. <laughs> and you're right, the goaltending getting a ton of attention, the coaching staff. I don't think enough is being made of McDavid, who missed those two games prior to the Heritage Classic. And since that game, and we saw him here lose his mind the other night against the Canucks, he was a complete non-factor. Uh, and again, last night in San Jose, he's got one point in his last four games. So I know that he's hurting and he's not at a hundred percent, but I still like, thought that there would be more there that right. when this team needed him, that he would find a way. And so I think that's a massive part of this story. I, I had to laugh. I saw somebody on Twitter say, oh, come on. It's not all bad. Uh, the Oilers do have a game in hand on the sharks. Uh, <laughs> That's where we're at. You know, just back to McDavid, I was looking at this last night, and I tweeted this out that, like, again, there are just so many crazy stats around the Canucks and the rate that they're scoring. But, Blake, on the 10th of November, the Vancouver Canucks have six players, including two defensemen, with more points than Connor McDavid does right now. I mean, and we're we're starting to eat our way to the 20-game mark. I mean, like, Like, it's arm's reach away, the 20-game mark. 16 points clear of the Oilers now. Yeah. Bizarre stuff again, uh, really is. Um, so we'll keep our eye on that and uh, a little bit more on that coming up uh, later on in the show. With regards to the Lions, 3.30 p.m. on Saturday into Winnipeg and great atmosphere at BC Place for both Lions and Whitecaps. It'll be similar kind of atmosphere that the Lions are walking into in Winnipeg. They get some good news this week that Gary Peters was a full participant, even had an interception um, in team scrimmaging. Ben Lodick, though, is definitely out for Saturday. You think, ooh, big hit there. Well, here's the thing. On the other side of the thing, the Bombers will be without reigning most outstanding rookie wide receiver Dalton Schoen uh, because of an ankle injury. He did not participate. And alongside receivers Nick Dembski and Rashid Bailey, who were limited participants yesterday, with respective ankle and knee injuries, they are officially game time decisions. I think you call that a wash. I, th- I think there's enough significance on both sides there that you just think, okay, injuries are not an excuse. Both sides are are missing key key uh, figures there. 
And uh, I, I think we've deleted that now from the list of reasons why one side's going to win or lose. It's it's going to be a showdown between two of the top three teams in the CFL for the entire season. Um, in a lot of ways, this could be the baby gray cup. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think for me, anytime you're looking at playoff football in Winnipeg in November, the first thing is the forecast. Uh, imminently playable. Like, yeah. it's a 5.30 local time kickoff there. So, sun will be going down. But temperature around the freezing mark. But it's supposed to be a mix of sun and clouds. So Playoff football. Yeah, I mean, the elements really aren't even going to be a factor there. Lions went into Winnipeg and I think caught a lot of people's attention early in the season with a big win over the Bombers way back when. Does that matter now? I mean, it probably allows the Lions some confidence to know that they've already won once in that stadium. I mean, that was then. This is now, obviously, and the stakes go up here. But, I mean, it's all about Vernon Adams, obviously. And if he can play anywhere close to the level that he did one week ago, then I think there's every reason to believe that the BC Lions can march into Winnipeg and come out with a victory and punch their ticket to the Grey Cup. Um, You know, the Lions know what they're getting themselves into. They're not going to take anything for granted here. Uh, They're the underdogs. But I I think the level that we saw Vernon take his game to last week certainly will provide him confidence, this team confidence as well. And the playmakers that he's got around him, uh, I I like the Lions' chances here. I'm not going to sit here and pound the desk and tell you that they're going to win this football game. But I I think there's every reason to believe that they can go to Winnipeg and come out with the result they're looking for. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's there. They're coming off a a really impressive win. So there'd be some momentum, some confidence for the offense. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. The only downside for me and just quickly, I I get the CFL moving playoff games to Saturday. They want to avoid NFL Sundays, but then you get a, a Saturday where the Canucks are in Toronto in a four o'clock start here, yeah, direct conflict. And that's yeah. tough for them. That moving to Saturday runs them into a direct competition with Hockey Night in Canada. I, the good news is, is that I think most people are are of the uh, ability these days. One one game on the TV, maybe one game on the laptop, multiple screens. Yeah, we're I think that, we're in, we're in that universe yep. now. It might be that kind of afternoon tomorrow. A quick note on the Whitecaps. We've got uh, more on them coming up later. We'll explain in the menu. But uh, release coming out today. They've exercised contract options on a number of players. Uh, Backup goalkeeper Isaac Vollmer. Tristan Blackman was a big one. Ryan Raposo was a big one. And then young players Simon Betcher and Levante Johnson. They have declined the options. On goalkeeper Thomas Sassol, who looked like he might be a rising star, but going all the way back to the MLS's back tournament, of course, coming out of the pandemic, was not to be for Thomas Sassol. Through performance, through injury, uh, just star-crossed a little bit. Um, so it'd be tough to see him go. He's always a, a great guy. Mateo Campania, Cameron Hababula also on the outs there. And discussions continue with Russell Tybert about his future. I think it's a polite way of the Whitecaps saying, we're trying to find the right spot for him in the organization. They've had other players retire and continue on the organization, um, like to St. Ricketts, for example. So I'm sure they're working towards that. Maybe it's an assistant coaching job, and, and that's a possibility um, but the end of an era there, most likely, I would think, with Russell Tybert. I'll admit, I had to look it up. I just want to see how old he was. I, and I know he's not old, old, but I, I was surprised to see that he's only 30. Yes. It just it feels like he's been part of the fabric, and he has. I mean, a day one guy, but it feels like he's been here forever. And so I thought you know, he'd be in sort of that 32, 33 range at the very least. But. Well, and that's the option, is that he could he could move on from his playing days or... 
does he go to the CPL and become a star? Like he could probably be a starter on one of the two local teams here. Maybe he goes back to Ontario and and, and tries to catch on there. He could probably play in the CPL going forward, but uh depends on what uh, his wants are. Uh, Junior Hoylet, Richie Larea need contracts, and uh, we'll see if they can come to terms. I mean, n- neither was the perfect player in their time as a white cap, but um, obviously the resume speak for themselves and probably worthwhile to to go down the road a while before making a final decision. Yeah, and I, I think it was just important organizationally and, and to the fan base as well to inject those types of named players. There was recognition that, you know, they weren't coming in as wild cards. People knew those names from their, their time with the national program and for an organization that wanted to make a late charge and ultimately they locked down a playoff spot. It didn't end the way they wanted. But I, I thought at the time, those were significant signings, both on and off the pitch. Well, let's get to the menu. It's all brought to you by Greta, a great spot to catch the game throughout the season. Playoffs, it's our place to chill in the offseason. Head to Greta Bar and Grill. And uh, we've got a fun show coming up. Uh, hashtags in just uh, a moment. We'll get into uh, more Euler news because it uh, it's bleeding through the organization now. The trickle down. Yes. And the trickle in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was local. There's a local tie to that. And, and in addition, maybe one of the better uh, sports giveaways coming up in hashtags. Frank Saravalli joins us from the Daily Faceoff and Frankly Speaking podcast. Uh, his take on on this Connect team and, and some of the stats, both counting and, and underlying and uh, any possibility of movement anywhere in the league. We'll get into all of that. He weighs in on the the Oilers debacle as well. It's Friday, so that means we head to the people. We get all your feedback on the week that was uh, in the sporting world and including on the Vancouver Canucks. Axel Schuster, sporting director for the Whitecaps, stops by. We'll talk to him about all these roster decisions that have been made and the ones that are still to come uh, some tough decisions we, we mentioned. It's not clear cut on a guy like Richard Larray. He's going to be expensive, and he's also not in enforced uh, property still, so there's all those sorts of details to be worked out. So we'll get into that with Axel Schuster and uh, E's and O's to finish it all off as well. So can't wait. Stick around. Hashtags coming up. And if you've got any feedback for us, don't forget the great clips Text message inbox 778-402-9680. Great Clips is the official hair salon of the NHL. Great Clips. It's going to be great. So is this show. Stick around. Harrison Price from the Wall Center, and as always, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. Check out Applewood Mitsubishi in the Richmond Auto Mall. Gas Outlanders, rated from 4.99%. They've got 20 in stock of those. If you want to make your factory order for the plug-in hybrid edition of the Mitsubishi Outlander that I've been driving around lately, so fun and so fun to drive past the gas stations. Uh, put in your order now. Drive down to the Richmond Auto Mall and check it out because it's all good at Applewood. It's a Friday. That means our chance to chat with the Daily Faceoffs, one and only Frank Valley from Frankly Speaking as well. And uh, Frank, it's been uh, another one of those weeks for the Vancouver Canucks. They uh, they refuse to lose. They are just going to keep on doing this. It is, it is a remarkable story. They're doing it in every which way possible as well. Yeah, it's really stunning to take a look at the shooting percentages of each game and and really 
dive through that. And I understand the regression talk and I get that shooting percentage as a team will certainly regress, but then you like, even just against the Sens, the third period, the Sens are really unhappy about that call. Uh, that was, you know, an own high stick and quite literally two seconds later, it's in the back of their net Two like right off the draw. Like you want to talk about shooting percentage, you know, that part might regress, but the way Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko are playing, that part isn't going to regress. I think they're playing at a level that is completely sustainable and duplicable. So um, it's it's a really fun time to be a Canucks fan. Well, the other thing we've been remarking too, Frank, is like everybody's got a grotesque shooting percentage. So like, are they all going to regress all at the same time, all at the same rate? Like if a couple fall off, that's okay. They're winning every game by three goals right now, for heaven's sakes. Look at the Seattle Kraken last year. They didn't really regress at all. Like they kept maniacal shooting percentages all pretty much all year. So they might not all be gaudy, but um there's enough talent there. And, and more to the point, what's most exciting is the math. You know, we're sitting here today crunching numbers. How can the Edmonton Oilers get back in the race? And I will talk about that in a second. But the Canucks are playing themselves into a spot right now, 75 points in their final 69 games of the year. That's all they need. Guaranteed playoff spot, book it, you know, bet your house on it, 75 points in 69 games. 500 hockey, you know, you're eventually going to crunch down to that point where all you have to do is play 500 and not to say that the Canucks want to be in that spot because you always want to go into the playoffs at your absolute best. But this is the magic in today's NHL of what a phenomenal start like this can do for you. Frank, you probably caught wind of the relitigation of the 2017 draft out here in Vancouver. Even as this team is 10-2-1, people want to go back in time and Trevor Linden was making the rounds, uh, doing media appearances. I, I just wonder, like in other markets, do people try to figure out who's responsible for individual draft picks? Or is that something that we can lay claim to as our own here in Vancouver? <laughs> I mean, you guys are kind of a, a market unto yourself. <laughs> and that's, I say that with all due love and respect. <laughs> I'm it, sure. Yes. It really is a a different place in terms of how hockey is consumed. And it's part of it is because there is so much passion, but part of it is just absolute horseshit sometimes, <laughs> if I could be frank. And you can, yes. I, I listened to that. I listened to the clip five times and I was saying to myself, look at the start this team is off to. This is a really prominent piece of franchise history talking who had a, huge leadership role and it just felt entirely self-serving like why would you like jim benning almost universally is like one of the nicest guys on the planet why do you feel the need to shit on him all these years later when the actual end result was the correct one like last time i checked he had autonomy on making the pick and they selected the right guy and then the other part of the interview which was oh, you know, I didn't need to cave to anyone and I'm not out to save my own employment. I essentially telling everyone I have enough money. I don't need to work for someone else. I just don't, I don't get it. So with all the positive to talk about, that is part of this job that is like 
it does kind of drive me crazy a little bit. Instead of talking about how good the Canucks have played, the ridiculous run that uh, you know the Bruins are on, or the Panthers are seven four and one and about to get their two top defensemen back. Most of this week has been about you know swirling around the toilet with the Edmonton Oilers. The Ottawa Senators have struggled. There's been some invented controversies in Toronto. Like it's just that's the nature of the beast, I guess. But when you're going to go out and re, you know dredge up history from you know what feels like a lifetime ago, I mean, okay, I guess. Our poll question yesterday: uh, Who would you most like to see traded out of the Vancouver Canucks, Bovilli or Garland. Obviously, two guys in very different states. One's headed towards UFA. One's got term and money, uh, more significant money. Um, and people were fairly split. The poll was 60-30, but... 60-30 um, to who? For Beauvillier, because I think people yeah. see him as the most tradable because he's headed towards UFA, although, of course, the biggest relief would be from from Garland. So I think people can were sort of weighing those two factors uh, as to what would happen. But the truth of the matter is, Frank, it doesn't sound like there's much traction on either front here. And, and, and the previous organizations that held on to these players, I think, probably know know how that feels that these players do just enough to make you intrigued and then just little enough that you kind of want to move on from them. Yeah. And you probably bang your head against the wall sometimes watching them play because there is, there's unquestioned talent there. Like Bovillier is a 20 goal scorer at some point and did it really early on in his career. And then you've got Garland who, you know, is, is this, you know, guy that's a tiny guy, but is always in the mix. And I think that part is really, you know, you need that on your team. Um, personally, if I were voting, my answer would be on Beauvillier. And it really is simple to boil down. Would you rather pay another asset to move on from a player? Or would you rather trade the guy that you can get off your roster for free? I think you you know, take what you can get, what's right in front of you, and then you worry about the larger issue if it still is one later on. And this team might play so well that it really might not be that much of a concern. Well, Connor Garland has one goal. It came early in this season. There's another Connor that uh, isn't exactly lighting the National Hockey League on fire. You talked about the Oilers uh, swirling around the the drain as their season slips away. Frank, I, I just can't get over it. And, and I, I think we all understand that Connor McDavid's not 100%. He missed the games leading into that Heritage Classic. But he's a complete non-factor. He was here in Vancouver the other night. He was last night in San Jose. He's got one point in his last four games. And I, I guess I always bought into this notion that even at 70%, Connor McDavid would be better than 95% of the guys in the National Hockey League. But that's not the case. How much of that is responsible for what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers? Do you think? I, I think part of it for sure. When he says healthy enough, um, it definitely grabs your attention. What's more surprising or concerning is that I don't think anyone, and not saying he's he's completely healthy because you never know the answer to it, but where's Leon Dreisaitl? You know, and you, you hear him after the game, like we kind of continually talk about him as the second best player in the world. Why can't he carry this team for a three-week stretch while McDavid is down and, and not at his best? But for me, it's more than that. Um, it's part of it is the power play, which has no power. The lights are off this team just looks lost and that's the toughest part to wrap your head around. It can be really deflating some of the stuff that they've gone through where almost every single mistake ends up right in the back of your net. Their goaltending has been atrocious. And I just, 
the underlying metrics, and this is part of the reason why we could have a debate and 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 go back and forth on the value of them, is because all of those numbers seem to indicate that this is just a team that has been incredibly unlucky. Almost, they have like quite literally some of the best metrics in the whole league. The mirror image of the Canucks in a lot of ways, right? Some of it is um, score effects for sure. Like they've been down a lot in games and I think you have to recognize that. Right. But what do you do if you're sitting there in the Oilers front office today? Yeah, you've already sort of taken the first step. You've sent Jack Campbell to the AHL, which by the way, he looked like hot garbage in Abbotsford last night. Did not night. go well, yeah. Still not entirely certain how that one puck went in. <laughs> Um, but what's the next step? Like, it's easy to fire the coach. I'm looking at the, the, the names of coaches out there and I'm like, Ooh, like none of that really gets me excited. And then you're saying, well, do we make a big splash, a big trade? What, where, what area would we tackle? Is it goaltending? Do we have to fix the goaltending problem or will that balance itself out? Do we need a different element in our bottom six? How can we strengthen our back end? Like there's so many ways or angles to attack this that I think it's your your head is spinning if you're the in the Oilers front office today. Is there is there any chatter about them actually kicking tires around the league on any of those fronts though? Yeah, I do think they've been um active on the trade market, just looking around. I think they've realized, particularly with goaltending, that it's probably gonna be pretty expensive to get a difference maker. Um with regard to the the coaching aspect of it, like I I had heard rumblings going back to before the Heritage Classic that they were beginning to sniff around on what who is available and and who might be a fit. So um, that's all on the table, and I think we'd all kind of be surprised today if you get through the day and there's no changes in Edmonton just based on how horrendous this week and this start to the season has been for a team that we all sort of universally looked at as a Stanley cup contender or favorite. Like how do the wheels fall off like this? There's so much focus, certainly in the West. And obviously the problems of the Oilers uh, have an impact for the Vancouver Canucks. I, I think in some ways, maybe that has distracted some hockey fans about what's going on on the other side of the continent. And that is forget Gretzky's record. Frank is Alex Ovechkin going to get to 20 goals this season and are like I don't want to say the end is near but it just it feels like his time as this dominant goal scorer is either near the edge of the cliff or you know falling off I mean it's yet another reminder right that father time remains undefeated because you you see last year and I think we've all kind of been waiting for this moment where you you see Alex Ovechkin re really begin to decline and the way that he played last year at age 37, like he still had 33 goals. And you're thinking the record is not even like in doubt. Like it's, it just stay upright and it's going to be his. <laughs> and the way this season has unfolded, um, 45 shot. Like let's talk about shooting percentage again. Like this is a guy with a career 13% shooting percentage and he's got two goals on 45 shots. That's a 4.4% number. Like, does anyone really think Alex Ovechkin for whatever, you know, speed or whatever else might be that that contributes to a slowdown? Like, does he just not shoot the puck as hard or as accurately today as he did last season? Like, I, I tend to believe that's not the case. So I think he gets close to that 30 goal mark again. I think he's well above 20 when it's all said and done. 
The tougher part is figuring who on the caps is going to help him get there. That's a good one. Yeah, Nick Backstrom's uh, situation is uh, probably helping the uh, the regression there a little bit, and and the question is at at five four and two, and considering the demographics of the team, do they bother even going out to get help right now? Do they think that it's worth their while for the future? I mean, how much do teams like the Caps and the Penguins feel the need like this? And we saw this with the the Canucks and and the Sedin Twins. Like giving a decent swan song, get, you know, putting forth the best effort for the aging superstars. Um, are both of those organizations feeling that pressure, do you think? I mean, didn't the Penguins already answer that question this summer by trading for Eric Carlson? Mm. Like, th- that's really kind of the thought process that had enveloped the end of Ron Hextall's tenure and then now clearly beginning the Kyle Dubas one. You've got the oldest team in the league that you've now doubled down on with a 33-year-old defenseman who has three more seasons beyond this one at 10 million bucks and a guy that also has a significant injury history. I mean, they're in a tough spot. They traded that first-round pick to San Jose uh, to get Carlson and, you know, that's kind of the way you summed it up with the caps is exactly how I think of the situation with Backstrom, which is you can't throw good money after bad. Like why, like what incentive do they have? What evidence can you point to and say, Oh, this team is close to being a, you you could maybe say close to being a playoff team, I, I guess. But if the penguins were to somehow make a miraculous run, which there's been a lot less focus because they have a couple more wins and then just came back from this California trip in a much better spot at six and six. But the pens were in a spot where you're looking not unlike the Oilers, like the math starts working against them pretty quickly. You can't, you can't possibly go out and try and fix this. Like you had your opportunity this past summer. Now's not the time to be trading more assets. We uh, have been waiting or we often wait for one trade to sort of burst the dam and and create uh, some lubrication in the uh, in the market. I don't think that Kalen Addison and Zach Bogosian is probably the catalyst for a bunch of uh, bunch of movement around the NHL. But um, what was that? Uh, it was uh, two, uh, you know, two number six defensemen, um, one out, one in um, and then separate transactions. What do you think Minnesota's thinking right now? It was actually supposed to be a three way deal, I think, with Raska going to Tampa as part of it. And he ended up staying in mini. I don't know what the backstory is there, mm. but um this is a change of uh, style is really what it is for the Minnesota Wild. They had Kalen Addison, who is really a one-dimensional, talented player, younger guy, um, that there, there's no issue there. He just is a power play specialist. And when you have a power play, which, by the way, has struggled this year and uses five forwards, why do you need a power play specialist on your team to help you navigate that for a team that also has questions to answer in its own end of how they take care of the puck and play defensively. So Zach Bogosian was really unhappy in Tampa, um, had a lot of success there, but had sort of reached the end of the line, only played four games so far to start this year. Zach Bogosian's brother works in the Minnesota organization. So there was like this sort of ready-made, you know, hey, I can, you know, we can each trade problems and San Jose was happy to facilitate that and take a guy off Minnesota's hands that they didn't really have much use for anymore. 
Right. Canucks roll into Toronto Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, the big stage, the way that they're going, and they get a bit of a break in that they catch the Leafs on the back end of a home back-to-back. The Leafs are at home to uh, Calgary tonight. and Hall so of Fame game. The Hall of Fame game. It looks like the Canucks are going to see uh, Ilya Samsonov at least to start because he doesn't always finish the games <laughs> that, that he starts. But uh, what's your read on the Toronto Maple Leafs? I see Klingberg has played his way out of the lineup there. I mean, we all know the high-end, top-end of their lineup, and those guys are going, but uh, not a whole lot uh, beyond uh, guys like Matthews and Marner and Tavares right now. Yeah, Sheldon Keefe, I think, said it best when he was like, we talk so much about our firepower and all these great stats that our offensive dynamic stars put up, but we don't really put enough focus on our defensive zone play and how they try and keep the puck out of the net. The Klingberg thing is kind of fascinating to me. Uh, I have spies that were at yesterday's practice who said he was quite literally 100% healthy. He's really struggled to start. I don't know what the Leafs were exactly thinking in their, you know, what was their thought process in bringing him in this past summer? Because you look at his last 18 months and the track record there really struggled to end things off in Dallas was awful in Anaheim and really not much better in Minnesota. I I called the Leafs flat earthers, like just deniers in that there's a ton of evidence here to suggest one thing and you want to go and pay him four million bucks to do something different. It's not really how it works. Um, So they made a, a decision that, look, for a team that has significant cap issues and struggles like a lot of others, that's a big boo boo. Like that's a big mistake to make. And I think. Uh, even though Sheldon Keefe was pretty quick to point out today that there's something injury related with Klingberg. My guess is with them, them heading to Stockholm in a couple of days, Hey bud, like take some time to get yourself right before we go to Sweden and this gets any worse. So um, that's where I think things are at that the Leafs it's an age old issue and it's an age old roster construction question and concern that the Edmonton Oilers are feeling today as well. We've got unreal players at the top of our cap chart, but how do we defend and how do we keep the puck out of our net? Neither team has had an answer this year. There's a real possibility that the Vancouver Canucks and the Winnipeg Jets will be the only teams above 500 by the end of the weekend north of the border. And uh, who'd have thought that at the beginning of well, the season? Well, let's take it a step further if we're going to talk cross Canada. If you were ranking the defense cores and which one you'd like to have, right? my guess is that you might pick the Sens and then the Canucks, but I think it's a worthy debate between Canucks at number one and Sens. No, the Sens aren't healthy, though. A healthy Sens blue line might might rival, but the, the current Sens blue line, maybe not. So, But, I mean, uh, look, Quinn Hughes has gone a long way in making that a real – not just Quinn Hughes, to seven. Yeah, yeah. The Canucks, this was the th- the point I kept driving home with you guys in the preseason. It's, dr- it's dramatically different, and they've got the strength and depth now that they didn't have previously that I think they 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 might get the edge. It feels different. It certainly does. Uh, Frank, thank you for this. Enjoy your weekend, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one.
Harrison Price from the Wall Center and hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com, all brought to you by Jason Hominick at Jason.mortgage. Of course, folks, why wouldn't you lock up your rate for 120 days? If you've got your renewal coming up, if you're thinking of buying a house, lock in now. Whatever happens over the course of the next 120 days, you get the best of whatever that world looks like if you lock in now. So even in the waning months of your current mortgage, you will save money canceling and locking in again rather than watching your rates rise. Get the personal touch. Talk to Jason Hominick. Go to jason.mortgage. Want to get us started here, Jeff? Sure. We talked about the Oilers' struggles right off the top of the program. Uh, this is from our buddy Patrick Johnson at Rising Action. Uh, the Oilers' farm team, Bakersfield, was out in Abbey last night. Yes. Canucks farmhands win four to one pj tweeting out jack campbell went to the ahl and still gave up four goals on 20 shots Blake, mm. did you see the one the second nils on goal basically rolled the pocket like he just completely whiffed on it three goals on the first 11 shots Ugh. he settled in <laughs> <laughs> found um his, found his groove you do wonder like what what's the future for jack campbell i mean that's just one game in the AHL, but if you're a marginal AHL goalie, um, gosh, there's not much hope. Now, we've talked about it. The buyout is not crazy for the Oilers. It's actually pretty beneficial. That might be the future for uh, for Jack Campbell, and, and that's that's too bad. I mean, he was kind of a, a nice redemption late developer story, and he's got his money. He'll get his money. He'll get his money. We're not no worried doubt. about his future, but... And I'll give it like, look, it's a lot to process, obviously, this week, this season. Yeah. So I'm not going to write him off entirely after one bad goal and one bad night in the AHL. But you you do wonder where this thing's headed. Uh, at Arda, Arda O'Call from uh, ESPN. Or, uh, yeah, ESPN, I was going to say TNT. Uh, you're more surprised a guy in a Leafs hat didn't look up to see Willie Nylander beside him on the subway commuting to the Leafs game. I'm more surprised the dude didn't look up because the jacket is unavoidable. Did you see this? <laughs> Yeah. Willie Nylander just jumped on the subway yeah. to get to the game a couple of nights ago. And yeah, he's wearing one of those, you know, those tinfoil looking puffy jackets. Both it's Willie Nylander and he's in a tinfoil puffy jacket. Both of those things should cause you to look up. The guy is wearing a leaf stuke beside him and is nonplussed. Like if Elias Patterson jumps on SkyTrain wearing yeah. a super puff, people are like yeah, people are taking notice. You would think. He's also like a he's a good looking guy, he's, you know, bright blonde hair. Like yeah, he's, he's sort got of the whole Euro fashion thing yeah, going. Like yeah, he's not your usual uh, train commuter. And this is like Leafs mad Toronto. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah, which is kind of nice for Willie actually. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this one's from Greg Shannon at Greg underscore Shannon. He produces uh, Canucks broadcasts on Sportsnet. Now, Shorty dropped this nugget late in the game last night, and of course that was Ray Ferraro's. Debut on Canucks broadcasts, but more Canucks broadcast news, or at least broadcast news. Greg tweeted out, Saturday, period. Hockey night in Canada, period. Boston at Montreal. The band is back together, and then there's a picture of Shorty and Cheech and Murph. And yes, those three, and I'm guessing Greg as well, they're going to be reunited, but not for the Canucks game in Toronto they're going to be on the call of the Habs and Bruins at Bell Center. Interesting. I, 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 I'm tickled for Shorty and Cheech to, and Enver, for that matter, to be able to have a little reunion out on the road. But uh, 
Odd decision making for sure. Um, hey, it's it's worked out okay, I think, for Canucks fans, but it's just it's just an odd chapter. It is now. I saw a lot of people on social when Shorty mentioned this, and of course, they can't understand why. Well, if you're getting them all together, why aren't they calling a Canucks game? Mm-hmm. It's the Canucks. It's the Leafs. It's the prime game on Hockey Night in Canada. That is Chris Cuthbert and Craig Simpson. And just because these guys are getting back together, no matter how much you as a Canuck fan want it to happen, never in a million years. Yeah. So that was a non-starter. So Hockey Night and Sportsnet found another game for these guys to call. So there'll be a little work on the remote control going back and forth. Watch the Canucks game, but you want to get a little piece of a little comfort food. Shorty and Cheech reunion. Yeah, yeah. Comfort, comfort food's a good way to yeah. when we're talking about Cheech. That's right. I didn't even mean that. Uh, at John Molinero, low turnout. We, we saw the uh, Whitecaps did their season ender uh, uh, two days ago now. It's the TFC season ender today. Low turnout for TFC Live end of season media available today. That's me in the front row, says John. Neil Davidson is also here. <laughs> There. <laughs> He's just getting some water right now, but but he'll be back. It appears there was two reporters at the TFC wow. season ender. This yeah. is, of course, a team that has gone to a couple MLS Cups, has won one. Like that, they've got a lot of history, and that's how bad it is right wow. now in Toronto. Uh, my final one's from Chris Kampke. He w- works for NBC Sports in Chicago. This is incredible. Connor Bedard. The youngest NHL player at 18 years and 115 days with a four-point game since Bep Gwidlin on February 5th, Blake, of 1944. Mm. And Gwidlin, of course, as you well knew, the youngest player in NHL history debuted at 16 Mm. in 1942. Alfonso Davies of (laughs) hockey sort of thing. Sorry, the first name was what there? Uh, it's Armand Bep Gwidlin. Bep. Mm-hmm. The nicknames back then. They called him Bep. But yeah, Bedard with a four-point night. Uh, Chicago, good win in Tampa Bay. And uh, They're not as terrible as we <laughs> thought originally. It's all right. Was, no, he's we, great, yeah. He's, but I mean, the team, we thought, we, we thought he'd have trouble getting four-point nights given right. who's around him, but they're, they're doing okay. Uh, finally for me, at Brad Galley, this is real and brilliant. The Red Wings are giving away 7,500 gravy Zamboni boats at their Thanksgiving Eve game. If you're going to give away things, enough of the stupid, you know, bobbleheads that are going to sit on somebody's mantle for about a day before they are put away. Something practical, like a gravy boat. And and this is a visual. You got to look it up and see the picture. Because, like, the idea of a gravy boat, sure, whatever. But when you see a Zamboni, a Zamboni with the Red Wings logo pouring gravy, like it is next level. It's good stuff. A practical giveaway <laughs> from the Detroit Red Wings, and that's hashtags for today. And we're joined now by Whitecaps Sporting Director Axel Schuster as we get set for the offseason to begin a little earlier than all would like. But Axel, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time and uh, congratulations on a good season nonetheless. Thank you and thank you for having me. It's uh, it's still a, a match that I, I hear people talking about. It, uh, it was something to remember, that's for sure. Have you gotten over the final game of the season? Uh, not yet. So um, 
obviously um, there's a long lot a lot to go through and uh, uh, start with uh, with the game itself and then all the other things that happened around the game uh, including like all the amazing things that we have the record crowd with more than 30,000 people um, but I think it will take a little bit longer. I will take a little longer. Um, we have now focused this week on, on on our players. We had a very long season with 46 games, so we wanted to do the exit meetings and get them off into into their off time that they can regenerate and and get ready then uh, fully re-energized uh, for the next season. I want to hear more about the exit interviews, but uh, first off, do you have a timeline on Vanny's discipline? Uh, do you expect it within a week, or might this take weeks up because uh, there's real, really no rush on it? Look, um, I, I don't know anything about the timeline. I, yeah. um, I, I think uh, it's a good thing, and that's also always my strategy to look in, into everything and take the time because there's no rush, there's no next game. So um, I think this is very important. Um, the league also had to deal with uh, some other things that are maybe more important um, because teams are still playing and uh, the, the competi competition department has to focus first on those that uh, maybe impact the next game. So, yeah, nothing nothing will change if it takes a week more or less. I, I only think it will give everyone the chance to, to look in, in all circumstances and facts and then to make the right decision. Actually, you mentioned the crowd there of 30,000 the other night. When you see a crowd like that and the atmosphere and the environment and that lower bowl is full, what does that tell you about the hunger in this market to see and support a much deeper playoff run by the Whitecaps? Uh, yeah, I, I I actually said to a lot of guys and a lot of, of our players also said that like, it was amazing to see that and also to feel it. Uh, you have heard me speaking very often this season about uh, that we have to continue to do what we do that that is showing good performances and, and attract people to come. We always felt by a few games, uh, by, by what we have seen in a few games, that the crowd and the support and, and also the, the amount of supporters are still there in the town um, because we had we had amazing games in, in front of 24, 25,000 people uh, like Canadian Championship Finals or a game versus Seattle two years ago. So that was always the feeling. It was like it's on us to to consistently show that the club has moved in another direction. That this is a different uh, team now. That this is uh, more joy and fun to watch, and that also the outcome is far better. And that the club is developing in the right direction. It's always easy to to uh, we we in Germany we say it's it's easy to destroy something a second, and it takes years to build it again. So I, I felt like this and having this crowd there and also feeling the vibe that is in the city, even now, still after the game, although we lost, it's uh, proving that we are building slowly in the right direction. If they're talking about you, it's a good thing, um, regardless of what the talk is on, honestly. Um, we got your release uh, today about all the player transactions, so lots to get into there. And, and that sort of is... Uh, intertwined in those exit interviews because I'm sure that some of those had some um, some emotion attached to them as well. So let's go to some of the 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 bigger questions and and those were the late season acquisitions, guys like Junior Hoylet and Richie Lorea, um, whose contracts are uh, yet to be determined for next season if they are to be determined at all. What was the gist you got from them in terms of their enjoyment and their desire to be back? 
I, I can really say that, uh, first of all, every player, and that was, for me, the most exciting um, or most positive that I got out of all those meetings is that we, we, we spoke with more than 20 players, so literally with everyone. And every player came into this meeting and said, look, it was a good season, but not a great season. And everyone had this feeling like, hey, there was a little bit more for us on the table. And um, there is more we can get with this team, and more we can more we can win with this team. And uh, I said to everyone that that feels great for me because if we go with this mindset in the off season and we don't go like we celebrate ourselves uh, for a great season, we go with the with this with this idea next year we have to try even more and harder to get the to get the two more results to be in the top four. To, to compete then if you're a top four team and have a home play of more um, to compete for for more than than um, the first round of the playoffs. So that that felt really good. And that is the vibe that I got. And um, also those two players, um, I, I said thank you to them. They came in in the middle of the season. Um, they had immediately to settle in and, and to show that they could be helpful for us and both did. Um, and now it is because the season ended that quickly and, and every game was so important. Um, it wasn't the right time to really discuss that, to sit down and have a facet and speak about their feelings. Now it's also here. Um, take the time. There's no rush. Uh, a week more or two um, um, is, 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 is there now, unfortunately. <laughs> so, so let's, but let's take the one or two more weeks to, to figure out uh, how, the, how the future can look like. Um, there are also sometimes factors that are not only in our control, like for Richie, for example, he is a player of Nottingham Forest uh, from 1st of January on. So there are, there are other parties we have to speak with and we will do this. There's uh, also a former captain, uh, Russell Tybert, who is on the roster and a potential uh, for retirement, a potential for an extension. Um, that's in your control. How do you suspect that? Um, that goes over the next couple of months. And what was his tone at the end of the season after injury riddled? And I'm sure a season where he, he saw the transition, the writing on the wall that this team was, was kind of moving on. Look, I, I can only speak highly and positive about Rusty. Um, not only about the meeting that we had, also about the whole season. Um, when I arrived in the club and I spoke with him, and he was the longest serving, serving player, he's still the longest serving player, uh, and I spoke about what he has, what kind of feelings he had about the last years. He said, look, um, it was quite frustrating because the club has brought in players. Um, they were not good for the locker room. They, they didn't care about the club. They got a lot of dollars and they didn't show the performance. And so I told him, look, um, I appreciate that. And I have the feeling that you care about the white gaps. So I want you to play an important role in this whole path of development and build up because we need guys that that have such a feeling that that care about the club more than about their career. And this year he has proven that it is really about that because he was such a positive guy. He was always good in the locker room. He was actually even speaking with the guys that were not playing a lot of minutes and we're, we're trying to, to keep them focused and, and to explain them that, that this is a bigger thing. Um, the success of the team is bigger than, than maybe the frustration of an individual. And that doesn't mean that we should not care about him. So he helped us with, with caring about them. 
So said that this year, I told him, you have proven that what you said to me at the beginning was really honest. And uh, because you yourself have not put you first. So said that um, we will speak with him. Um, I, I don't think it's a big surprise that, that uh, um, this is a different situation and we have really to, to, to take the time. He also didn't want to, to think about it too much before. We have to take the time. Um, what kind of role, how his future will look like, but there will be always a future with the Whitecaps. Um, and uh, I think um, that's um, also the right thing now to think, what can this future look like? And also, what is his feeling? So just after the season, take a few more days and think about what's the right thing for you. And then, then we will get together and find a solution. Uh, Thomas Sassol is on the uh, list of players that will not be brought back. It was uh, it, it was a, a roller coaster career for him with the Whitecaps, uh, and I'm sure uh, one that we uh, you all wish ended uh, differently for Thomas. Yeah, look, um, it was a very hard season for him, and um, um, it was a um, emotional conversation because uh, look, we put the person first, and uh, especially with our young players that are coming through our academy um, we feel always we have to care about them a little bit more we have to to help them because they they will always wear our badge in their heart also if they leave at some point the club because they they come from here they grew up here that's their club um so that there are a few guys in, including thomas where um we all agreed in the room including the player that it uh is might be a good moment for a fresh new start somewhere else because sometimes with with those players that are not having seen the pitch a lot also maybe have went through a few frustrations it is sometimes helpful to get out of the environment that they know since many years that is always the same and then you come back into back into this environment where you yes feel somehow preset in in a position and then if you go somewhere else and you have to prove you somewhere else then you 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 maybe can free up a little bit more of energy so we had this discussion with a few players that doesn't mean that that there wouldn't be a place for them here that doesn't mean that they have done not the right job or they haven't done poorly it's just the point where for the better of the player also we think it's a it's a time for a fresh new start and i i really was happy that all those meetings that are a little bit more emotional went all in the same direction that the players agreed and said look i have no bad feelings i have no i i i understand and i actually see it the same way and um we are here then to support them for the next step and and hopefully this is a great step for them and then if whenever they come back, we can we can hug each other and think uh, back to this meeting and say it was the it was the right decision at the right time. Axel, so much focus on the MLS team, obviously, but you mentioned the academy there. Uh, just where are you and your time here at the the helm of the Whitecaps uh, in terms of the growth and the development and, and your excitement about the layers beneath the first team uh, with what's going on with the academy. Look, we, we in general are very excited about uh, our um, setup there, um, um, about the steps that we have gone. It's it's not done yet. Um, obviously, COVID still impacts somehow um, the academy. Now you can ask why. The problem is those kids haven't trained for one and a half year. And um, 
this is a missed time in their development and you cannot make up for this missed time because the, in, in the next years that would follow after this development steps, they had to develop the next step. So they, they have to speed up and it's not easy. So um, we still see that. Um, I would say we have uh, we are doing every year a next step. Um, and um, I feel good about that. I think our U17, for example, this year is, is a very enjoyable team. Uh, right now they have a little bit of challenges because uh, national team players are not there. Um, the U17 uh, World Cup has just started, also with players from us. Um, and um, so the competition is going on. And then if you meet uh, play a team that has every player available, then obviously the, the performance is different. Um, but in general, we have a very, very uh, fascinating group. The group has won against Seattle, um, what we, uh, what is also a very strong academy, and we always had challenges to pull the results. Um, we won in an amazing game against Salt Lake, a team at that time that also had three U.S. national team players. So there is some talent, there is a good group that is coming, and we will also see, and that will be one of the next steps, that we uh, pull up those guys earlier into MLS Next Pro. We want to go one... I would say one age group younger into MLS Next Pro um, to have those guys playing earlier there um, and then to see um, earlier if we can if we can move them up to the next level um, to help them with the gap that they maybe had in the development through COVID. Um, and in general, we are a club that is using more MLS Next Pro players and has given more MLS Next Pro play, uh, players a contract than than every other club in MLS Next Pro and in the league other than two other clubs that are comparable to us. So you always want to have more. You always sure. think there is more and you could do better. But then you have also to be realistic sometimes and, and say, look, it's not that bad what you have. And that doesn't mean that it cannot be better. And we work on better. Uh, keep an eye on those... Uh... Sedine and Ferraro kids, uh, they, uh, they, they're near and dear to us, of course, here. Um, the uh, off-season in general, um, do you go fishing outside of the pond? Like bringing back Larea or Ahoylet, uh would obviously be of intrigue to, to fans, but might there be an impactful player that we don't know about? Uh, are you going to go shopping um, for a specific position uh, that is not filled by a guy like Hoylet or Lorea? Yeah, look... Um... What I said before, the group feels like there was more on the table with this group. So obviously, um, uh, we would like to keep this group together and then still add the one player that no one is expecting, an impactful player. Um, um, but uh, let's let's do the business in the right direction. Let's speak first with those players. And at the same time, we prepare for an alternative scenario. Um, I don't think that in general we need a lot. Um, I think that... Um, um, we have to be very careful and, and, and have to be right on, on the additions. Um, first, because of our culture, of what this group has, has, uh, has shown, uh, shown this season, not only on the pitch, but also off the pitch, how they have cared about each other, what energy we had in the group, seven road trips with, with such a performance, but also with, with no bad moment off the pitch or uh, with, with bad behaviors of players or blow-ups. Um, that tells you something. So you don't want to get the one player that doesn't respect it or is is not uh, in the right mindset. So we have to be careful uh, in in all parts of the profile of the player. Um, but then we think because we don't need that much. Um, yeah, we 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 can we can really 
um, very, spe very specific in our search. And um, we have a few profiles. Our scouting and recruitment department has worked all months long where, where we have been on the road. And they have um, presented us uh, lately uh, a PowerPoint presentation with uh, names for each position that we think that maybe could help us. And uh, now we are working through this. I'm going. Uh, um, I'm going into <laughs> to to different continents in the next two weeks uh, to have meetings because uh, to figure out if that is really the right guy and if he really fits to to us. Uh, it is also important to meet the people or those players in person and to speak with them, to go out with them, for example, for for dinner, um, to get to get a good feeling about the personality and um, about the player profile. We know a lot with with all the analysis we do. So I think we are in a good position. Um, I think we have some very interesting profiles there. Um, but as I said, do the business in the right direction. We will first use the next weeks um, where that I that we have all blocked in our calendar for playing more playoffs games. We will use them to speak with with every player in our group. That we make sure that um, we have ideally the whole group or at least the majority of the group back well, next year. Well, happy travels there, and uh, just circle back. Let us know how those uh, those meetings go. Let us know who you're looking at. Uh, we'd, we'd love to find out. But uh, congratulations on on a good, if not great, season. Using your words, uh, with lots of room for improvement as well in a deeper playoff run. But uh, thanks for your time all season long, Axel. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people, we go. It's a Harrison Price, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. And to the people, we go. Presented by Finning Canada. Get ready to save with the Finning Black Friday sale. It kicks off on November the 20th with savings on new, used, and rental equipment in addition to the deals and fitting parts and service from November 20th to November 24th. Look out for daily specials, and those will last each for an entire week. This gives you the chance to take advantage and save big on the things you need to keep your business running. For more info, go to finning.com slash Black Friday. All right, uh, let's quickly use the opportunity here to look at yesterday's poll question. Who would you rather see the Canucks trade? Hmm. Beauvillier, Garland, or neither? Who won that? Uh, I'm going to say Garland, just because of the contract. It's funny. The the respondents said Beauvillier, 63.3%. Really? Garland just 30. But those that wrote in, for the most part, were voicing their vote for Garland. Scotty P, I like Garland better as a hockey player, but trading his contract for next year would be valuable cash space, so I vote Garland. That's the, the obvious. Hussein, echoing that, Garland all day. He has more term. Beauvillier might be worse, but she can let him walk this summer or retain at the deadline. And then Chuck says, would rather Garland, but feels like it would require a sweetener, which I am not a fan of. So that might be the logic for those that are going Beauvillier. Right, and also just I think some people a little tired of the trying to trade Connor Garland storyline. We know that yeah. Canucks couldn't do it on their own. They gave the agent an opportunity. It seems to me that Connor Garland is still on the roster, so... Uh, all that talk, Bavillier on an expiring contract may be more attractive to other teams, but he's got to do more than score the ninth and tenth goals in a ten-one win against the San Jose. Shirts. Did those files change in any way last night? Like to me, Garland no. was still the same player. A lot of visibility, but not anything really 
to talk about at the end of the day. So I went back and looked at this because Connor Garland scored the first goal of the season. Yeah. Feels like a lifetime ago. They've scored so many goals since. So his goal drought is now up to a dozen games. This is early in his third season with the Vancouver Canucks, already his fifth double-digit goal drought. Like, this is who he is. Yeah. Just goes these almost painful stretches. And I know that he's playing a little lower in the lineup and the second unit doesn't get a ton of power play time. But he's not big and strong. He's not there to be physical. He's not there to kill penalties. Like his job, he's been a goal scorer in the NHL. That's sort of, you know, what do you do around here? He's supposed to score some goals. And I just I can't recall anybody sort of with that profile on this roster over the last bunch of years that kind of scores in spurts the way that he does. Yeah, yeah. and you, you do wonder, this is the guy that fired his agent. His agent got $5 billion <laughs> a year for this kind of production. To the inbox now, tell me I'm wrong. The Canucks have gone from not wanting to use one R-word, rebuild, to another R-word, regression. That's from Adam, the former math guy. Uh, it is the buzzword right now, but... And as we talked about off the top, like last night might have been a harbinger of things to come. Um, but they're going to surf this wave as long as they can. Yeah, look, I mean, my brain knows that they're not going to score at this rate forever. But you do hope they score at this rate in Toronto on Saturday at the very <laughs> least for one more night. Yes. Uh, no, I mean, it is ridiculous. The Canucks right now have eight guys with shooting percentages north of 20. It's silly. Absolutely silly. Uh, regarding the Linden interview, Jace writes in, F Aquilini, need I say more? Aquaman clearly cares more about making a buck from the playoffs than the proper stewardship of our franchise. How could he side with Benny and then keep him on for all that time? Absolutely sewering the team. Dream scenario, somehow forced the sale to a Mardoman or the Reynolds group. F, I don't care anymore. Anyone is better. Bring Linden back in as Prez when Rutherford retires. Hashtag sell the team. Um it's uh i mean never mind the draft stuff which is going to become a he said he said um scenario but oh i wanted Pedersen. there just does seem to be clear that you know they didn't want to have any sort of plan did you see the intermissions either one of them last night in the game in ottawa like it, it felt like a response to all of this talk in the market relitigating the 2017 draft uh, and I'm sure it, I mean, these things take planning, but yeah. the idea that the first intermission was revisiting the 2023 draft and, you know, it was like a behind the scenes. And then the second intermission was a profile of Tom Volander. And it, it, I don't know, the timing just kind of That's it, funny. It, it made me laugh at the very least. Yeah, I think I it hadn't. was a coincidence, but it, it just kind of felt like enough of this talk in the market. We're going to show you what we want to show you. And Remember the good draft? Yeah, exactly. Here's a good draft. Here's a good draft. Uh, Dave and Terrace, does Matt have weed on the mind? A lot of Tom Ford name dropping. And yes, I realize he's a fashion wanker, but everyone knows it's a strain of good cheddar. I did not know that, Dave. You're, you're educating me here. Uh, yeah, Tim Ford, the referee in MLS. Tom Ford, the designer, and apparently a good strain. Uh, basketball, Phil, hot take. We win three medals in basketball, men's, women's, and women's three-on-three, three, and three medals in tennis in Paris, women's doubles, mixed doubles, and women's singles. Wow. Um, Leilani, I guess, rising to the occasion? Well, have to be, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see the basketball. I can see the basketball sweep. All three are... are highly regarded tennis is i don't know it's been a weird tennis season 
it's been a weird tennis season. On regression talk with David Quadrelli, Andy, the PK is sub 80%. That's not clicking. That's bottom half of the league. Um, yeah, but when you're dead last, when you're dead last, the middle of the pack looks awfully good. So good. Oh, Lockdown you. Basking in the glow of middle of the pack. And, and Bluger's coming back, and they still have yet to escalate Mikheyev to full, full-blown full participant, so that changes things, too. Uh, Dave says, I would play Demko until U.S. Thanksgiving and build up as many points as possible. That being said, the Smith continues to get wins himself. Yeah, I mean, I, I the only thing I would quarrel with, and you can't because they got wins in both of these games, I still think you could have gone Casey DeSmith in San Jose. I think they could have used a tandem of me and you, Blake, in mm-hmm. San Jose and got the win there and allowed Thatcher Demko then to have his run that would have carried over to the start of this road trip. Uh, I got, in my mind, I kind of figured he would get Ottawa and then the Toronto game and DeSmith would get the back-to-back in Montreal. But, look, Casey Smith has delivered, and that's all you can ask of a backup goaltender. The guy's 3-0-1 now. It hasn't been perfect. Been a little scrambly at times, but he's come up with some big saves and uh, got a little fortunate on the Matthew or the Brady Kachuk uh, empty netter that he missed there that uh, preceded the JT Miller game winner. Uh, but, look, Rick Tockett's pushing all the right buttons, including his handling of the goaltending. So uh, it is kind of funny that, you know, a run right now for Thatcher Demko is four games. Right, like yeah. they felt he needed a break here after four spectacular performances, but it isn't really about Demko delivering in October and November. It's about keeping him fresh. That if this team is in fact going to be a playoff team, you can't run them into the ground in the regular season because you want that Thatcher Demko to be ready for you when like, the postseason rolls. Guys like UC Saros go eight nine games in a row, so yeah. it's uh, this is still uh, getting him a lot of rest. And one more on Quadrelli unplugged says. Compared to Price and Sakaris, quads in the studio looks like bring your kid to work day. <laughs> that's well, that's actually not too that's actually not too far off when you think about the age of my eldest. Um, from YouTube on John Shannon, love Heronic so far. This is from Darian. Love Heronic so far. The gamble seems to have paid off. My main hesitation was Eisenman moving on from the injury prone D man, but the value paid was worth this level of play when healthy. Hope he's protected by other players on the team he continues to perform the points just keep i mean it's nothing gaudy but he continues to be there yeah and he starts the play that leads to that opening goal just 15 seconds in last night so point streak is up to eight games now uh look i I, at the time and i'll admit i didn't have the full book on philip ronick it felt like an awfully steep price to pay now some of that was just moving off the assets that you had just gained in the trade for bo horvat and the other part was that there was this knock that Hironic had some injury issues. And sure enough, he arrives here, can't play for a while. They, you know, four games, all, that's all we saw of him last year. He has hit the ground running. And, uh, you know, right shot guys at that age, just turned 26, that can play big minutes and can produce offense, they come at a price. So there was the acquisition price. And now the other question is, what is it going to, like, what's that ticket going to look like? When they have to resign, I was watching the game at an arena, um, watching my kid play, and and so I was watching from afar. And from on one play, I actually thought Hironic was was Hughes for a moment. Like he's not quite as dynamic. The edge work isn't quite as good, but it's close. Like he's a good player. He's a really good player. Uh, Big Woods on the contributions of Tockett. Uh, not only the guys behind the bench, but add in the twins, goalie coach, support training, etc. No matter what the business, communication is the top item always. Then turning the skill 
tuning the skill sets to deliver what you ask for and accountability. But can anyone say any player is screwing up and should not be there? This is what makes a good head coach in any sport. Everyone seems to be slotting into their roles. Again, there's players you want a little bit more out of, um, but there's not any pure passengers, I'd say, right now. No, and when there has been maybe even the glimpse, like a Dakota Joshua, they sit him down for a game, you know, message sent, they don't skip a beat, they win 10-1, to 1, he gets back in there, and he's been better since. And and so you know, I think right now they've created this environment, and you hope that it has sustainability, but they've created an environment where there is some internal competition. You mentioned Teddy Bluger is going to come back maybe as early as the weekend here. I do think that that has prompted some elevated play from those guys. They recognize that. They want to stay in the lineup, and they know that here's this guy waiting in the wings that's going to get plugged in when he's ready, and if they don't hold up their end of the bargain – uh, you know, somebody's going to have to go back to Abbotsford. That's probably Sudnika. But beyond that, somebody's going to have to come out of the lineup to make room for Bluger. So, yeah, I, I just – and I've mentioned this before, I think, with you and Matt, but right now to watch these guys in practice, and I know we're talking about practice, but eight coaches on the ice. Like, it really – it's incredible stuff. And maybe hockey was just in the dark ages. And maybe this is where the game – you know, is now with all these positional coaches and skills coaches and the twins who aren't officially coaches, but they are hands-on. And and it's not just glorified puck pushers and setting up pylons. Like these guys, they all have roles and, and there is individual attention and guys are, you know, coaching staff pulling players aside and having one-on-ones out on the ice and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that there is a direct correlation to the work that's being done with these players in practice and in video sessions to what we're seeing when they step onto the ice for real. And that's the people for this week. All right, time to uh, bring this thing to a close. E's and O's over the last couple of days. Boy, we've got some uh, apologizing to you. Forgot to do E's and O's back on Wednesday. So that in and of itself, and, and then forgot to account for that forget forgetfulness yesterday. Oh, so it was like a little sloppy around com- here. Compound interest here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive E and O now. Um, I was ballparking. Ah, did Richie Larray play what a dozen games for the Caps this year? All in all, all comps, fourteen games for Richie Larray. Um, I don't know. I had a mic issue. Oh, I was a little slow. Like Matt's getting so particular. Like I was like a second late turning on my mic, so there was a bit of extra music in the background uh, thrown to me for something yesterday. And then we were trying to remember, that, and we both had the image ingrained in our minds of, uh, we're talking about how defenders are annoying in the NBA, like the true like top-of-the-league defenders are often annoying personalities like Ron Artest and, and such. We're like, who was blowing in the ear of LeBron? Do you remember who that was? Not. I've got the vision. We we all had the vision, but we couldn't remember. It was Lance Stevenson, who Ah. does not belong in the run our test category, I don't think, Um, but still a a bit of uh, an infamous or famous vision of LeBron James. And I think that's all we got. Grady, anything else? I don't think so. I think that's all we have for for today. Um, Time for our Betway bets of the day. What do you have for us, Jeff? Uh, bounce back game for the Seahawks after they got throttled in Baltimore last weekend. Five and three Hawks at home to the four and five Washington Commanders. Seahawks favored by six and a half. That pays out at 187. Um, I'm going to stay in division. And uh, this is not a hope because I, I do want the, the Seahawks to, to try to win that division. 
but I just don't see the San Francisco 49ers losing another game in a row. It'll be four straight. So um, I'm going to give some points. I'm going to take the, the 49ers minus three, and it pays out at 190. Those are your Betway bets of the day. Please play responsibly. Must be 19 years of age or older. Don't forget, we have a massively busy weekend at Rinkwide mm-hmm. with games on Saturday and Sunday. Toronto, Montreal, both early games, so a chance for you to listen to Rinkwide before you go to bed. Yeah. Which is fun. No, that was good. We got uh, the Ottawa game in and out, and you're right. Pumped out at uh, a reasonable hour with yes. time change. So, yeah, here, there's your big Saturday night. You watch the Canucks, and then you you listen to Rinkwad. So Rinkwad programming all weekend long. It'll be me alongside Jeff on Saturday and Quads on Sunday. So enjoy that, folks. Enjoy all of your weekend. And uh, please remember to support all the fabulous businesses you uh, hear advertising with us. And we'll talk to you on Monday here on Sakaris and Price. Enjoy your weekend.